Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, several announcements that we have before we get started in our study uh, is um, it, it, the, the recording. Is, we, we have to uh, change our recording methods here. So I apologize if you hear background noises. We try to mitigate that as much as possible. Uh, but we're having some difficulties, technical difficulties with our uh, 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 recording means. So we're just going old school. Um, and and uh, the other announcement is happy Father's Day to my beautiful, beautiful brothers out there in Christ. Happy Father's Day. I love you so much. Uh, I want to give you a big fat hug and a big fat kiss, the holy kiss of the Paul kind, not of the Episcopal kind. So God bless you. Uh, my prayers are with you and may the Lord bless you richly uh, in your ministries as husbands, in your ministries as papas. So we're going to get started in our study here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Open up your Bibles. Now, if you're listening for the first time, we go through the Bible uh, systematically, verse by verse, line upon line. Sundays is the New Testament. Wednesdays is the Old Testament. Sometimes there are some cases where we have topical messages. Very rarely. It happens very rarely. We just go through the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. And in so doing, we get the full counsel of the Word of God. The good, the bad, the ugly. All of the Bible is good. It's beautiful. But there are aspects that are really, really ugly. Really, really not good. Uh, uh, when you see people get into terrible situations, Old Testament and New Testament, and then you see how God responds, how he is reactionary, and how he responds, and how he reacts. And a lot of cases, to sin, to the carnal nature, to the carnal man, to the carnal woman. And in so doing, we learn. For when we're in those situations, when we're up against, you know, a fork in the road where we have to go left or go right or walk according to the flesh or walk according to the spirit. We learn from the mistakes of all these people that are captured in Holy Scripture. And so here we are in chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. And so we kick off here in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Whoa. This is such a loaded verse, such an incredibly loaded verse. It says here, for we know that if if our earthly house, how it translates when he says earthly house, this tent, it's an earthly abode of this tabernacle, an earthly abode of this tabernacle. It's the human body. It's our earth suits, my earth suit and your earth suit. Understand that we are a people that are, you know, at some point in whatever time, the, the mortal will put on immortality. We study that in 1 Corinthians 15, remember? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's not just, you know, in this life, you know, we want to live good. We want to do these things nicely. We want to be nice. And, you know, we want to live peaceably with men. I mean, there's that aspect of living, you know, as much as depends on us to live, strive to live peaceably with men. But there's a purpose behind it. There's an objective. There's a reason. There is paradise that we look forward to. And not just paradise like, you know, a, a, a nice spot on the beach. I'm talking about paradise, oneness with Jesus Christ. And we know that if 
our that if our earthly house this tent is destroyed which translates as dissolved destroyed overthrown and demolished those are hardcore words those are hardcore words now remember here you know you hear me say how uh uh uh, uh, uh there's a three year gap from first corinthians eighteen and then a three year gap from between first corinthians eighteen or, or, or uh, 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 acts eighteen the founding of the church in corinth there's a three paul leaves corinth and then three years later he writes first corinthians first corinthians is done and then three years later he writes second corinthians and there's these three year gaps so which totals six years. But then understand that in, that in that time frame of six years, we're also getting closer to 70 AD. We're also getting closer to a time where the cost of being a Christian is also being amplified, also becoming more dangerous. I mean, if you read in church history, what was done to Christians by the hands of the religious leaders, the Judaizers, and then also by the hands of the Romans. What was done to Christians? The cost of being a Christian was very, very high. You know, we're, we're told, count the cost. You could say, oh, count the cost for that generation, but count the cost for this generation too. For you and me both. Let us be a people that counts the cost. Because the cost of being a Christian, you know, when, when a, a sword is put to a guy's neck, a sword at the tip of the spear is put to a woman's neck, and they say, who is Lord? You say, Caesar is Lord. You get to live. No big deal. Caesar is Lord. But if you say Caesar is Lord, you know what you're doing? You're denying Jesus Christ. And for those who make a purpose in their heart, I'm not going to deny Jesus Christ. The spear is at their throat. They say, who is Lord? The guy next to you says, Caesar is Lord, gets to go home. The lady next to you says, Caesar is Lord, gets to go home. The kid next to you, Caesar is Lord, gets to go home. And you say, Jesus is Lord. Boom. They stick the spear in your neck. Or they say, okay, collect them, round them up. And we're going to put them in the games or for sport. We're going to put them in the arena and we're going to let out the lions. And let's watch the lions tear apart their bodies. All for sport. Oh, and, and before we do the lions, we're going to separate the men and the women. And we're going to ravage the women, rape the women. Anybody who's female, young girls too. We're going to rape the women and make the men watch. We're going to beat them up, tie them up, make them watch. We're going to ravish the women. And then when that, and all for sport, everybody's cheering. It's all in the arena. Read church history. It's not pretty. And then when we're all done with that, we're going to round them up. And then we're going to let the lions loose and everybody's going to be eaten. And we're going to watch it for sport. That's what would happen. So as we see these things, we're in, you know, you hear me say, you know, three years later, the letter to first, uh, first Corinthians is written. And then three years after that, second Corinthians, the whole time, it's like, you know, a stovetop. You turn on the, the little burner and you turn on the burner and you see a little tiny flame, little tiny blue flame, low heat. But then you turn it a little bit more and that flame gets higher and higher and hotter and hotter. Same thing for the church. For the saints. 
you say, Caesar is Lord. None of that happens. You get to live. You know, if you're female, you don't have to worry about being raped. You don't have to worry about your daughters being raped. You don't have to worry about your son getting his head chopped off. You don't have to worry about your husband being beaten and then getting his head chopped off or getting, you know, his arm chopped off and and watching your kids being eaten by lions. You don't have to worry. You say Caesar is Lord and everything's fine. But in so doing, you deny Jesus Christ. This is what the early brethren endured. You say, wow, why do you have to be so violent? Why do you got to say it like that? This is history. This happened. The problem is we forget. We forget the cost of being a Christian. For this generation in 2 Corinthians, it's hardcore. And yet the word goes forth. The word goes forth. You see? How beautiful is it to see this now in that mindset, in that in, in, in that context, and knowing what was happening happening in, in, in Corinth geopolitically as the cost of being a Christian is being amped up. And not just that, I mean, you know, you, you, you hear us make mention of you know the Judaizers and the Romans, but then at the same time, don't forget like just the the the, the, the regular people. The other Corinthians in the town, remember, when you, when you see the account, when you read Acts 18 and 19, you see there was a, 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 a great commotion arose about the way. But then you see why a lot of the business owners, they would make statues. They would make all these idols for Diana, Diana of, uh, of Ephesus. They would make all these statues. But then when the Holy Spirit was moving, a revival came. You know, the demand started to diminish and the business owners, they were like, whoa, the demand is, isn't there anymore. We're losing our money. So these Christians are crazy. Let's kill them. Down with the Christians. They're impacting our bottom line. You see? Just regular culture. You could say the Judaizers did this. Yes, they did. The Romans, they did this. Yes, they did. But what about the... Everyday people. You see? Culture? Just any history. Look at the... You know, I teach from the United States, but look at U.S. history. There's ugly aspects of U.S. history. And yet people forget. There's ugly aspects to any country's history. You put aside the country, look at your own history. There's ugly aspects in your own history. I, I could tell you ugly aspects of my history before I knew Christ. Walking according to the flesh, being in sin, walking in sin. You see? But what happens when we know Christ? When we walk with Christ? You know, you hear us say, walk with Christ no matter the cost. That could be said of this generation. It was said of the previous generations before us. It was said of the generation, the second Corinthian generation. But that aspect alone, that's hardcore. Given what was happening geopolitically, the cost of being a Christian. And so Paul says now, in that mindset, let's look at verse 1 again. For we know that if our earth... Our earthly house, this tent, or our earthly abode of this tabernacle, speaking of our earthen vessels, our earthly bodies, or our earth suits, 
even if it's destroyed, even if it's dissolved, destroyed, overthrown, and demolished. He says, we know these things. In verse 1, we have a building or a structure and dwelling. We have a building from God, a house as an abode, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, eternal in the heavens, meaning it's forever. These are things that we forget about. What do I say? Don't forget. What does Paul say? Don't forget. What does Peter say? Don't forget. What does Moses say? Don't forget. What does the Lord say, Moses, to tell the people? Don't forget. What do we do? We forget. That's what happens. We forget people. The, the church forgets. We forget these things. Don't forget. Because things are going to get much worse. Things are going to get darker and darker. It is prophesied to happen. Yeah, we cannot forget these things. That yes, there's eternity. Forever. Perpetuity with Christ. Yours and mine in our glorified bodies. Oh, death, where is your sting? And Paul says this in verse 2. The Spirit says this through Paul. For in this we groan, we groan, he says, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation or our dwelling, which is from heaven. He says, earnestly desiring. You see, this is this passing into eternity with Christ, with Jesus, our Lord, son of the most high, our husband, as we look forward to the better marriage. intense craving we groan he says earnestly desiring there's this intense craving i mean what is it that you crave for is it things of this world i mean if that be the case you know put yourself in check these, you know, we, we do, we have communion Sundays. We do it on the first Sunday of every month. But take inventory of your heart. You know, of, the, of course, of the sin, the sin of commission and the sin of omission. But then, you know, check your motives too. What is it that you have intense craving for? You groan, earnestly desiring. Is it the things of the world or is it? The things of the heavenlies. If it's the latter, praise be to the Lord. You know, it's it's beautiful. If it's the former, let it be something to put you in a state of conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Not so that you can be like, you know, destroyed the wrath of God. No, that so you can be uh, made into the image of Christ. We're in the same boat. We're in the same boat. I don't say these things to hurt you. I say these things so that we can grow together. This intense craving. What is it? Unto what do we crave? And I love verse 3 because Paul places himself in, in the same boat as well. He says, if indeed having been clothed, we shall, we shall not be found naked. You see, this is 
Paul's own view of once saved, always saved. He says of himself, if indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Paul's view of once saved, always saved. Even Paul can be found naked. No covering. No covering. You see? Paul places himself in the same exact boat. What does that say to us? Let us be a people who are covered, atoned, right with God. If indeed have been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, we who are in this tabernacle. Tabernacle is how it translates, but it's as a temporary home. You see, even the Old Testament tabernacle, what we're studying in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, even that tabernacle had walls of cloth, which became walls of stone. More permanent. Permanent in light of this earthly realm as the earthly example. But don't forget, on earth as it is in heaven... This tent, this temporary tabernacle, which we call, you know, who you look at in the mirror? Your temporary tabernacle. But one day you will put on. You abide in Christ and Christ in you. Praise be to the Lord. One day you will put on your glorified bodies. You will be given your glorified bodies. And we who are in this tent, he says, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. I love this so much because, you know, it's like, not be, he says, not because we want to be unclothed. Is Paul speaking about a desire to be naked and uncovered? And when I say naked, don't, don't think crazy town. Don't, don't let your mind go off into crazy town. What I mean by being naked is just fully exposed. Nakedness, desire to be naked and uncovered. No, this is very common today. Nobody thinks this way. It's very, very common today. You know, is your walk with the Lord a chore? Is opening up your Bible a chore? That's not a good sign, my friend. You see? Remember what we studied last week in chapter 4, verse 2, when Paul says, we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Do you renounce the hidden things of shame, my friend? My brother, my sister, do you renounce the hidden things of shame? Because if you don't renounce the hidden things of shame, you know what that is? Nakedness. You need to be covered. Nakedness isn't a good thing. Not because we want to be unclothed, Paul says, but further clothed. I love this so much. Have you ever seen a mom dress their kid in the winter? It's crazy. Like straight up crazy. I mean, she does the, the best of intentions and she does it for the child's protection. Praise be to the Lord. But it's straight up crazy. You know, a little kid wants to go out and play in the snow. Hey, mama, it's snowing. Can I go play in the snow? The mom says, okay. Let's get you dressed up, you know, put on the long johns, the long underwear, you know, you put on, you know, an extra pair of pants and then another set of pants, the big ones. And then you put on a sweatshirt, a shirt, you know, long shirt. And then you put on a sweatshirt. Then you put on a big coat. Then you put on the beanie, all these things. It's that what's, that's what Paul is talking about. Not that we want to be unclothed, but 
Even more so, we want to be further clothed, he says. I love that so much. More holy. Further clothed. Yes, we have these assurances in Christ. And yes, we have the mercy and grace and love of the Lord. But does that mean that we should desire to be unclothed? Does that mean that we take our freedoms in Christ for take advantage of these things? Do we take our freedoms as a small thing and say, wow, because we're in Christ, therefore now I can do this. Now I can do that. The thing now I can walk according to the flesh. Once saved, always saved. No. We walk according to the spirit. We walk according to the spirit. Desiring to be further clothed. Just like the mom puts on, hey, you know, baby girl, put on these long johns, put on this sweatshirt, put on this extra sweatshirt, put on this coat, put on this hat. Here's your chapstick. Put on these gloves. And these gloves are little. Put on these bigger gloves. You see? That we desire to be more holy, even further clothed. And when this happens in your life, when you choose to do this in your life, knowing that few people do it, people will hate you. Even in the church, people will hate you. But of these people who hate you, you know what is happening? You know what is being revealed? Their own nakedness. Their own nakedness. Things that are shameful are fully exposed. Their own nakedness. You see? Even the Old Testament priesthood, you know, even they had those special undergarments that we studied in Exodus 28. In Exodus 28 verse 42, when, Mo- when the Lord was giving Moses the blueprints, even they had special undergarments. So in case the wind blew, you know, the robe would fly up and you think, okay, the robe flies up and you have to turn your head because you can't see the nakedness. No, the robe would fly up and boom, they have their special undergarments. Their nakedness was always covered. We studied that in Exodus 28. The blueprints. What happens when Moses and uh, 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 Joshua came down the mountain and into the camp of Israel? Nakedness. You see? Nakedness. Sin. Fully exposed. It's so powerful when you, we study this. I mean, we're in 2 Corinthians, straight up New Testament. But when you have this backdrop of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, how, how powerful is this to see how the Lord views nakedness? And yes, we, we can see, understand nakedness in a carnal sense. But what about when sin is on full display? Things that are shameful. And that's what happened to the church in Corinth. Remember when Paul had to write in his letter, he says, you guys, you're rejoicing. It's not a good thing. You come to church, you say the praise the Lord, hallelujahs. You have your hands up, you speak Christianese, but you're rejoicing, you guys. It's not a good thing. Paul says that. Why? Because of the carnal nature. A widespread... The carnal nature was endemic as opposed to the spiritual nature being endemic in the church. 
It's not a good thing. And Paul says your rejoicing isn't good. This is leaven in the camp. This is leaven in, 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 in of the bunch, in the bunch. And a little leaven leavens the bunch. I mean, have you ever bought strawberries from the grocery store? You buy, you buy strawberries from the grocery store and you see like, you know, uh, if, if you, you the, there's a, the one that has some mold on it, you know, and if you don't get rid of it right away, you know, it's like the mold just spreads like wildfire. And, you know, the next day you got to throw the whole thing out. That's like leaven. A little leaven leavens the bunch. Does that mean that in Christ that we should desire to be more unclothed? Not at all. That's not what Paul's saying at all. He's saying just the opposite. We groan, he says in verse 4. In this tent, we groan, and this is our burden. We're burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed. And that's so powerful because remember last week when we looked at verse chapter 4, verse 2, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. How many people desire to be unclothed? Have you ever talked to Christians like this? They go through the minutia, minutia of everyday life. You know, just going, going through the motions, you know. Yeah, I mean, my dad says get in the car, so yeah, I'll get in the car. My mom says get in the car, so I'll get in the car. We're going to church. You see it a lot with the young people. You see it with old people too, but you see it a lot with young people where they go to church just because, you know, mom and dad say get in the car. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be a Christian. Mom and dad say, you know, I, I want to be pleasing. I want to, you know, live peaceably with those in my home. I want to submit to my parents. So yeah, I'll do that. But boy, as soon as I turn 18, I am out of here. I'm going to go to college, live it up, get drunk, do the sex, try some drugs. Man, as soon as I'm 18, I am out of here. You see, that's not good. It happens. This is the burden of Paul and the workers. Remember, make the distinction between the workers and the field. Not to say that the field can't have these same passions and desires. That's actually a good sign. If you're not in ministry and you're a pew Christian and you have these same desires, these same passions... Praise be to the Lord, because these are like the burning blocks, you know, the, 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 uh, like, like when water starts to boil, you see, like before it's like straight up boiling like crazy. These are like the building blocks of like, uh, before the water starts to boil like crazy, you see the little, the little tiny bubbles, the little tiny bubbles, you know, okay, this water's hot. You know, you put water, pot of water on the stove before you cook some pasta, and you see the little, the little bubbles. You're like, wow, this water is getting hot. And then all of a sudden, it's like straight up like just bubbling all over the place. That's what, you know, if, if you're not in ministry and you have these little, little tiny bubbles and this resonates with you, that's a good sign. Praise be to the Lord. It could be that perhaps the Lord is moving you into ministry. Whatever ministry he has for you. But it's very dangerous to be a novice. Don't be bummed out because, man, you know, I, I think the Lord is calling, in me, calling me into ministry, but I'm not in ministry, so I'm bummed out. No, don't be that way. Be just the opposite. Rejoice because you can be like the little bubbles, you know, it's like, wow, something's brewing. You know, this is this resonates with you and you're like straight up like on point with what Paul is saying here in spite of the spirit. You're on point with what the spirit is saying here. But yet you're still a novice and so rejoice because you're growing, you're maturing in Christ and then boom, the Lord's going to give you the green light. One day in his timing, he's going to give you the green light.
So don't feel bad. You know, it's beautiful to have eagerness into ministry, but it's also beautiful to have patience. You see? And I love this so much, he says, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, this is a beautiful, the end of verse four, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. But I get why the translators put it this way. I understand most translations say it exactly this way or in some variations of this, that the mort- that, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. But when you line up the words in the Greek, it's a little different. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. How the words line up. Sometimes I I kind of have, not reservation, but I feel kind of weird in saying this because I'm just a guy. That's it. I'm just a guy. You say, how do you have the authority to, to even say this? All I can say is that, you know, by God's grace, I am what I am. By his mercy, I'm not what I was. But how verse 4 ends, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. How it better translates is that what is mortal may be drowned of life. What is mortal maybe drowned of life. I get, you know, verse four says that the, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. I understand that. And that's beautiful because you can look at the two. You can look at the mortal and you can look at what is immortal. You know, you could look at you in your present state and you in your glorified body. And, you know, the glorified body is going to uh, uh, swallow up the mortal. And it's beautiful. That's beautiful. But when you see the translation, it's, it paints a little different picture. That what is mortal may be drowned of life. Do you remember our study through the Old Testament? Where in the Exodus, God took care of the Egyptians. He took care of Pharaoh. He handled that. The might of the Egyptians, the chariots, the mighty soldiers, he took care of them. But in the course of time, he says to Israel, now it's your turn. You take care of the Canaanites. You take care of the Moabites. There's this aspect of we have to fight. You have to fight. I have to fight. We fight together. Yes, the Lord took care of Egypt. But then he tells to Israel, he says, you take care of the Canaanites. And yes, they were afraid. Because the Canaanites were huge, gigantor people. Giants. Yes, they were afraid. Then you have the next generation of leadership in Caleb and, and, and Joshua. The only two that passed into the, the promised land. The only two of that generation. Why? Because they were fearless. Do you remember our study? 
That's why you see also in the Old Testament, the Amalekites kill the Amalekites, kill the Amalekites. But when you see the Amalekites as a type of sin, what are you supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Kill the Amalekites. A type of sin in my life, a type of sin in your life, whatever way, shape or form it presents itself as kill the Amalekites. Or I'll put it in another sense, choke them out, drown them out. Have you ever choked somebody out in a fight? I mean, you can't kill them because that's illegal. So you choke them out. And then you, you like when you choke somebody out, you can like the like the energy leaves them like their their might and their strength. You know, their their arms become limber. Their arms become like spaghetti noodles. Why? Because the life is being choked out of them. You don't go all the way and kill them because that's illegal. And you go to jail, you go to prison. And I'm not speaking carnally about this, but, you know, in a carnal sense, that's what we do. Choke out the Amalekites in our lives. What is the Amalekite? You tell me. You know. The old nature. The old nature, the old man, the old woman, who you were before you came to Christ, living in the ways of Adam, living in the ways of the world. That's the old nature, and that's who you choke out. Yes, the Lord took care of Egypt. But Israel had more battles. They themselves had to learn how to fight. For you and me, yes, the Lord took care of Egypt. But we still have fights. We still have battles. That's why you look at the end of verse 4. When you see that mortality may be swallowed up by life, but when you understand the translation that what is mortal may be drowned of life or choked of life. What is mortal? You see? Choke it out. The Amalekite inside of you or Amalekites plurality inside of you. Choke it out. Choke it out of life. And not just choke it out. Like, you know, in the, in the carnal sense, you choke somebody out. You don't want to kill them because that's murder. You're going you're gonna to go to prison. But in the case of the carnal nature within oneself, within you, within me, what do we do? We choke it out. Not just to choke it out and, and, and let it live. Choke it out and kill it. That the mortal man, that the mortal woman may be choked of life. You see? In verse 5. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing or fashioned us for this very thing is God. It's, it's all he's doing. I love this so much because God through the ages, Old Testament and New Testament, God through the ages says, that's my guy. That's my gal. Moses, I'm going to use you. Moses, I see your heart. I'm going to use you. And, you know, you kind of have a little troubles in this area, Moses. So that's my girl, Zipporah. I'm going to use you. And you're going to be a helper to Moses because I'm going to, you know, Moses falters in this area. I almost killed him. And, you know, Zipporah, you're my girl. 
You see, Joshua, you're my guy. You see, David, Samuel, Hannah, you're my guy, you're my gal. Remember Amos, I'm no prophet nor the son of the prophet. You know what the Lord says? That's my guy, Amos. You're a surprise. You're a prophet. That's what's so beautiful. In verse five, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. It's all he's doing. Who has also given us the spirit, capital S, it's the Holy Spirit, as a guarantee or as a down payment or as earnest. Earnest money, a down payment. That's the Holy Spirit inside of you, inside of me. You see? So we are always confident, he says. That's, you know, trusting in the Lord. Trusting in God's word. You can have confidence. You don't have to be tossed to and fro by all kinds of winds of doctrine. That's what happens to baby Christians. They don't want to mature. And so, you know, they're 1 Corinthians 3 Christians. Which haven't matured. Remember Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, I wish I could speak as the spiritual people, but I can't. I have to speak like the babies because you are still carnal. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And that's what's so beautiful. You get the 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and then boom, 5, you see division. And then division happens. And yes, it's sad that there's leaven, but he says, okay, now the leaven has been uh, put away with. And now, okay, chapter 5, continuing to chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, establishing order in the church, establishing order in hearts, in homes. And deeper spiritual things. Then you get into 2 Corinthians. And Paul says, okay, these people who were identified as leaven, now bring them back. Bring them back. You guys are better equipped now to fight. So bring them back. When this, when this other brother, he might be tempted to do his drugs. He might be tempted to do his sex. He might be tempted to do his alcohol. But now you guys are better equipped to help him. And he's repented. You see, that's what's so beautiful, this confidence, not to be tossed to and fro, but to have this confidence, this love of truth, which has benefits, has advantages. And I don't want to cheapen the truth of God's word by saying, you know, we, we do it for the advantages, we do it for the benefits, but there are benefits and advantages of uh, abiding in Christ and being lovers of truth in this life and in the life to come. So we are always confident knowing that while we were at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Remember, verse 2, this intense craving is to be with the Lord. But yet, we're still in these earthen vessels. We're still in these earth suits. And while we're in these earth suits, we have this confidence. He says this in verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. I like that. We walk by faith, not by sight. Understand that our journey to paradise as sojourners, remember, we're just passing through. Yes, we're in this world, but we're not of the world. We're just passing through. It's by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Remember chapter 4, verse 18, where we closed last week? He says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, 
but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Yes, we walk by faith and not by sight. If you have a habit of walking by sight, change. Change your ways. Learn to walk by faith. The Lord said of Ephraim, I taught you to walk. I fed you. I stooped down and fed you. The Lord says that of Israel. Does he not say it to you as well? He taught me to walk. Is he not going to do the same for you? No, he'll definitely do the same for you. The question is, in what manner do you walk? By sight? And if that's the case, cut it out. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. Learn to walk by faith. Hear. Learn to hear. Learn to see. He says this in verse 8. We are confident. Yes. Well pleased rather or rather more willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I love this so much. You see verse 8 and it's like, wow, Paul, it's almost like death has greater appeal than life. I wonder if we were to see Paul today and say, wow, Paul, it's almost like you want to die, Paul. I wonder if he'd have a big smile on his face. He won't, He doesn't have to say a word, but I wonder if we were to ask him that question, I wonder if he would have a big smile on his face. Well, yes, well pleased rather, or rather more willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You see, remember, he's the one who says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Not to deify Paul, but to deify and crown Christ inside of Paul. You see? And not that Christ is inside of Paul only. Because remember, the Lord is the one who says, Abide in me and I in you. Oneness. Oneness. Therefore, in verse 9, Therefore, we make it our aim whether present or absent. So in this life or in the life to come, in life and in death, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. You see? Well-pleasing to Him. This is so beautiful, but yet it begs the question, well, how does this happen? How does this happen? To be well-pleasing, whether whether present or absent, how does this happen? How can we be well-pleasing to Him? Well, Desiring to be further clothed is key. Desiring to be further clothed is key. Like he says in verse 4, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. You see, do we take advantage? You know, like Paul says in Romans. Does that mean that we should sin more so that grace can abound? No way. Don't do that exclamation. Certainly not the exclamation point. Those are his words, not mine. I'm just the messenger. Certainly not. But yet, whether we live or die, to be well-pleasing to Him. Well-pleasing to the Lord. You see? That we desire to be further clothed. Just like 
a mom, but like in the wintertime, just like a mother puts on the clothes on baby girl. Baby girl wants to go about and play in the snow. Baby girl, put on these clothes. Put on this coat. Put on this hat. Put on these mittens. Further clothed. Enveloped in Christ, you see? More garment, more garment. The garment of Christ that we wear. More holiness. How does that happen? Number one, desire to be further clothed. But remember what we looked at last week in chapter four, verse two? But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. You need to renounce the hidden things of shame. I need to renounce the hidden things of shame. Not just today, for the rest of our lives. You see? For the rest of our lives. Your commitment to Christ isn't just for the next five months. It's for the rest of your life. And so he says this in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the Bema seat. You hear, you hear uh, we haven't mentioned Bema seat in a while. It's been a long while. But if you remember back to when we did mention the Bema seat, this is where it's from. The judgment seat. It's the Bema seat. We must all appear before the Bema seat of Christ. That each one, each one, you know what that means? You, me, Paul, Cephas, Apollos, Phoebe, Priscilla, each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Whoa. Whoa. We're going to stand before the Lord one day. As surely as the Lord lives, we will stand before the Lord one day. Teachers are held to a more strict account. That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Now, when you hear that exhortation and that word of caution, let not many be teachers. But then you see in Hebrews 5 how the writer says, some of you ought to be teachers by now. Let your eagerness, don't, don't let those words of caution scare you away from teaching if the Lord has called you into teaching ministry. But let those words of caution keep you, keep your motives pure before him. When the writer of Hebrews says, some of you ought to be teachers by now. If the Lord has called you into teaching ministry, rejoice. He doesn't make mistakes. He knows what he's doing. But if the Lord hasn't called you into teaching ministry, don't become a teacher, which is very common in the church today. You see, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You know, modern day today's machine learning, which is in its infancy, computers, cell phones, laptops, tablets, you know, these new devices, they have their machine learning, deep learning, neural networks, quantum computing. It's like, wow, technology, it's rapidly increasing. It's rapidly getting more intense. And yes, it is. But yet somehow we forget about the Lord. We forget about the Bema seat of Christ, that yes, we're going to stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. You see? And he's going to 
see our deeds. We're going to be judged by the things that we've done in the body. In the body. Whether good or bad. Except not just in the body. The things that we've done. The works of our hands. The steps of our feet. He's, he knows the motives. The motives. Oh, did you enter ministry because you wanted the accolades of men? You wanted more money. You saw it as a career opportunity and you wanted to do these things. And in the world, everything's fine and dandy. But to the Lord, not everything is fine and dandy because he knows the motives. He knows the motives. Turn with me really quick, really quick to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And what do we see here in Matthew 7, verse 21? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You see? Number one, you have a people here saying, Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord, they acknowledge him. Lord, Lord, they're calling out to him. He says in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name? Wow. They have the gift of prophecy. And they prophesied in the name of Jesus. They're calling out to the Lord. Lord, Lord. They're calling out to him. Wow. They cast out demons in your name. Wow. They were even effective with, with uh, demon possessions and fighting demon possessions. And done many wonders or mighty works in your name. Wow, from the outside looking in, it looks fine and dandy. Wow, look at these guys. They're so hardcore for the Lord. And look, they're effective in their ministry. All these things. But in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you, he says. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Whoa. Remember, when we stand before the Bema seat of Christ... Yes, he's going to judge, but he tests the motives too. You think, wow, you know, quantum computing, neural networks, machine learning, it's all this technology and it's crazy, it's wild. And yes, it is, but that's the world. That's the world. In, in, in some regard, you listen to the founders of artificial intelligence and they straight up say it's not of this world. They say it's from another world. So... Uh, demonic things at play. And yet the Lord says here, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see? You who practice lawlessness. Some translations say, you workers of iniquity. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, whoa, that reveals quite a bit. So the people before where, you know, he said, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name. They were the hearers. They were the hearers. Were they the doers? You could say, well, yeah, they were the doers because, look, they were doing these things in the name of Christ. But when I say, were they the doers? I'm talking about, were they applying the word of God in their lives? What were they also doing? Were they casting out demons in the name of Christ? But then also doing their sexual stuff? Doing their drugs? Doing their alcohol? Doing their whatever? You say, wait a second. You know, once saved, always saved. Come on now. 
you see. Is one saved really biblical? No, it's not. And I love you. I know this is very popular in the church today. Very popular in the church today. But even the Lord says it is entirely possible to be a short-term believer. A short-term believer. And I'll, I'll read it from Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 in verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. Who believe for a while, you see. And in time of temptation, fall away. I wonder what these people from Matthew 7. Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did many wonders in your name. But what did they also do? What did they also do? In their time of temptation. And the tempter comes. He comes for everybody. Satan roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. And going back to Matthew 7, the Lord says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, does not do them, makes a choice not to do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Same thing happens here. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. You see? Now you have a choice. When you hear the words of the Lord, do them. Do them. And be like that wise man who builds his house on the rock. Because if you don't do them, the Lord is the one who says, that's a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Yeah, you can have a nice, beautiful house on the sand. And everything's fine and dandy. But what happened when the storm, what happens when the storms come? What happens when the storms come? What happens when temptation comes? What happens when the lions come? You see? So understand that, yes, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we must, in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Remember, the Lord tests the motives. He sees the heart. And Paul says this, knowing therefore the terror, translates as the exceeding terror. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, which, remember, this is pre-knowledge now. Because knowing therefore, I mean, Paul knows the terror of the Lord. And in so doing, in so knowing this exceeding terror of the Lord, he says, we persuade men. There's a lot of people today who say, you can't persuade people to believe. Paul did. We persuade men. He straight up says it right here. 
We persuade men. Understand that every single choice made, your choices and my choices, everybody's believer or non-believer, every single choice made has an element of persuasion. An element of persuasion. Paul says, we persuade men. But we are well known to God. You know, the Lord knows his servants. Remember, to the disciples, Jesus says, you know, you guys are servants. But then later on, he says, I don't, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Friends. Bondservant. When Paul, Paul says of himself and the workers and Peter, we are bondservants of Christ. Now, a bondservant is like, it's a slave, but somebody who has had the opportunity to be free, but denies that freedom and stays in the master's house. That's what a bondservant is. To give you an example of a bondservant. Say, for example, say I'm your slave, okay? I'm your, your servant. Slave is, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a bad word nowadays, but I'll say servant. I'm a servant in your house. I'm not advocating slavery either, but I speak of servanthood. Say you're a servant or say I'm your servant. You're very wealthy. You have a big mansion. And you hire me as your servant or you purchase me as your servant. And you're very fair to me. You treat me very fairly. And I work for you for a period of time. I'm your servant. I don't know you at first. And so I don't know how you like, you know, your clothes folded. I don't know how you take your coffee. I don't know the little things that you like. I don't know yet. All I know is that, you know, I'm your servant. You paid for me, so I'm your servant. And in, in the course of time, I know exactly how you take your coffee, how you like your coffee. And then you love the way I make your coffee. Yeah, wow, this, this guy makes some really good coffee. And you, you love how I serve you. And in the course of time, I also love serving you. And then the contract is up. The contract is up. I have my opportunity to go free. The doors open. You say, thank you for your service. You know, it's been, it's been nice, you know, and we've become good friends and, you know, but, you know, here you have the opportunity to be free now. And I say, master, master, I know I have the opportunity to be free. But you know what, master, in the course of time, I've fallen in love with you. You've cared for me. You've provided for me. I remember when the storms came and I had shelter over my head. I had your roof. I've fallen in love with you, Master. And yes, I can go free, but I want to be your bondservant now. So what would happen is you'd take my right ear, you'd go to the doorpost of the home, and you'd, you'd take my right ear and take an all like a, a big pointy tool, and you'd stick it in my ear, and then I would wear this ring in my ear. And so now, because I'm your servant, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a servant, but I'm your bond servant, meaning I've had the opportunity to go free, but I've denied that, and now I'm your bond servant because I love you. I love you. You know, you take care of me. You're not like mean to me. You don't say here, you know, clean the floors as you're kicking me as you walk by. No, it's like 
We're having beautiful conversation. You know, I've fallen in love with you. And, you know, you have a, a dinner party. And here, you know, you have all these servants. And here, I, you know, I got this earring in my ear. So all your guests know, like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Look, this guy's a bond servant. He could have gone free, but no, he loves his master. And then on top of that, I'm speaking about the love of the bondservant unto the master. But what about the love of the master unto the bondservant? Remember the reciprocal nature of love. I love you, master. And you know, you as the master, you love me. Reciprocal nature of love. You see? And then you look around the table, you look around the table, you have these guests and you look at all the other servants and everybody else has a pierced ear, their right ear. Everybody else has a pierced ear, young, old, male, female. And that's us, the body of Christ, bond servants. And the master is Christ. You see, reciprocal love, reciprocity of love. We love our master and our master loves us. And at the very onset, servants. Just like he said to the disciples. But in the course of time, as you grow, as you mature, as you transition from field to worker. Remember, if you're, if you're wondering, like, if you're listening for the first time and you're like, what? What does he mean field, field and worker? Well, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians, all of it. You'll understand. You make these distinctions of field and worker. Now, as we grow and mature in Christ as bond servants, then you make this transition in maturity from being field, transitioning into worker. And just like he said to the disciples, you guys, you know, you guys are servants. He said that to, at first, but then later on, he says, now you guys are my friends because a friend doesn't know what the master is. A friend already knows what the master is doing. A servant doesn't know what the master is doing. A servant is a servant. The master says this and the servants do. Which is, it's beautiful. It's not bad. But the friend doesn't have to wonder what the Lord is doing. The friend doesn't have to ask, you know, Lord, what are you doing, Lord? The friend automatically knows. That's why you read passages, a friend of God. We have this earthly concept of, you know, yeah, friend of God. Okay, yeah, he's my friend. But it's way deeper, much more, more deep. Much, much, much more deep. You see? That's what he says here in verse 11. We are well known to God. And I also trust, he says at the end of verse 11, are well known in your consciences. You see? Remember what we studied last week in chapter four, verse two, but at the end, when he, at the end of verse two in chapter four, he says, by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You see, I wonder the, the church in Corinth, thinking back, I meant like, say the three-year gap between first Corinthians and second Corinthians, that three-year gap, if there's a person one year in, and they're thinking about the words of Paul. Ah, oh, I remember what Paul says about this. I remember I read what Paul wrote about this. I remember when it was read in the church and, you know, I, I went back to the pastor and I read the, uh, 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 the parchments. 
I remember what he said. I remember, you know, when he came to, you know, four years ago when he came to Corinth and I remember his words. Oh, what a beautiful man. I remember the people, what beautiful people, man, women, what beautiful people planting seeds in us. And I remember my old lifestyle. I wasn't a believer then. And then Paul came and he came bearing gifts. What were the gifts? Jesus Christ, him known and him crucified. And I received this gift. And I believe. And here I am, you know, four years in. He wrote this first letter. And we're four years in. And I don't know that he's going to write Second Corinthians. But man, Paul is like in my conscience. Timothy, he's in my conscience. I remember Paul. He was speaking about Phoebe, this lady, this, uh, this lady who was on fire for the Lord. And she was sent to Rome. She's doing some ministry in Rome, but wow, he spoke very highly of Phoebe. She's in my conscience. You see, the people to who you commit to your conscience, they must be of sound doctrine. They must have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully. They must be manifestors of truth. They must not desire to be unclothed, but further clothed. They must choke out, choke out the mortal, the mortal man, the mortal woman. They must choke him. They must choke her out. And not just choke him out. They must choke to kill. And I'm speaking about, about the Amalekite inside of them. These are people which we commit to our conscience. You see, now you read verse 11, chapter 5, verse 11, in that context of bondservant and friend and God knowing the bondservant and, you know, persuading men and the conscience. And you see, wow, verse 11 is so loaded. Loaded, knowing therefore, in verse 11, that the, 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 the terror of the Lord, we persuade man, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your conscience. For we do not commend ourselves again to you. Now, when Paul says not commend, it's said the most in the Bible to the church in Corinth and of 2 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, of 2 Corinthians. We don't commend ourselves to you again. It's said the most to the church in Corinthians, the second letter. Because Paul has already established himself as an authority in, Cor in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. He's, also, he's already established as an authority in Corinth. Not as an authority like a, he's going to rule, but he is an overseer for the church in Corinth. Not just the church in Corinth. He is an overseer. And in this capacity of overseer given to him by the Lord in his ministry that the Lord has given to him. He has a responsibility. He has a responsibility for himself in serving the Lord and being obedient to the Lord. And he doesn't commend himself again. Just like he says here, we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast, which is to boast, but it's as rejoicing. Almost like a proud, you know how like a father is proud of his daughter or a father is proud of his son or a mother is proud of their kids. You know, it's that same sense, but in a rejoicing, like you might be proud of your son or proud of your daughter and you rejoice in that. It's not pride like, you know, it's not the pride that uh, precedes a fall. 
it's a good type of pride. It's, it's like a rejoicing type of pride. Like, wow, I'm proud of baby girl. Wow, I'm proud of my son. But it's in, and it makes you happy. You rejoice in these things. That's how this word translates. He says, we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast or rejoice on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Remember, we walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Remember, the things which are seen are temporary and the things which are not seen are eternal. And I'll give you an example of, an example of verse 12. An example is, picture the so-called, the proverbial Sunday best. The proverbial Sunday best where, you know, you take a family. And I speak of like Western church, you know, Western cultures. You go to church, you put on your Sunday best. A family, say it's a family of five. Husband, wife, three kids. Everybody's got their perfect smiles. Their perfect attire, their perfect hair, perfect everything, perfect appearance. But that's what is seen. What is not seen is that the husband is cheating on his wife. He does his pornography. He does gets his prostitutes. His wife's an alcoholic. His daughter's a lesbian. His son's doing coke and he's suicidal. His other daughter's into witchcraft. She's in the occult. She does her Ouija boards. But their Sunday best, it's presented like, wow, you know, look at this appearance. Think of what they said of Chloe. The church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, in the 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Think of what they said of Chloe and those in her household in that home fellowship. Oh, Chloe, you're such a joy kill. You're such a legalist, Chloe. Where was the boast? Was the boast in that the church in Corinth? No, it wasn't. Remember, Paul is the one who says your rejoicing isn't good because of the abundance of the works of the flesh. Not the abundance in like the number of people, of course, that's, that, that's bad, but the abundance of like the depth of it. Where were the pastors, where were the elders to say, hey, this isn't good, cut it out, repent. The early stages, not the late stages when the fruit of the flesh was already apparent, but the early stages when people's minds started to go off into crazy town. Oh, Chloe, you're such a joy kill. Come on, come be one with us. Was the boast in Corinth Proper? Or was the boast in Chloe's household? The carnal, the baby Christian might say, wow, we can boast in Corinth. Look, here's a church with a thousand people. There's a home fellowship over there. How many people are in that home fellowship? Oh, just 10 people. Oh, pff, there's nothing to boast. That's, that's a tiny church. Look, I can count the people in the num- with my two hands. I can count the, my, my, my 10 fingers. Look, there's a thousand people over there and 10 people over here. Chloe's household, they're nothing. Just a bunch of joy kills. But biblically speaking to the mature, where was the boast? In Chloe's household. Why? Because they were not 
overtaken by those things of the flesh. They were a people not walking according to the flesh. They were walking according to the spirit. No division in Chloe's household. The division happened in Corinth. The division of leaven. You see? That's what Paul is talking about here in verse 12. We give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance, not in heart. You see that today with people. That, oh yeah, my church has a thousand people. How many people does your church have? We have 10, sometimes smaller <laughs> to those who have ears. <laughs> sometimes it's smaller. But you see, where's the boast? You got a thousand people. Okay, let's let's analyze things. You have a thousand people in the fellowship. Are a thousand people speaking in tongues? Yeah. Okay, that's not right. At most three. That's what the Bible says. At most three. You see, that's just one. I mean, I could go on, but you know, I I, I won't. But you see what I'm saying? Where's the boast? Is the boast in where there's a thousand? Wow, we have a thousand people in our fellowship. You only have 10. Uh, the fruit of the spirit is with us. What spirit? The fruit of what spirit? Because the spirit of the Lord says, at most three, speaking in tongues. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets, remember? The Holy Spirit isn't going to con contradict the word. Oh, but we have a thousand people. Look, there's, we have this pastor. Who is it? Her name is Jennifer. Jennifer? You have a female pastor? Yeah, she, she's awesome. She teaches, she, she speaks in tongues. She's the one who, you know, a thousand people speak on tongues on, at her behest. Okay, number one, you shouldn't have a female pastor. Headship is always male. Pastor and elder. Male. You see? You say, oh, that's just a little thing. You're going overboard. Where's the boast? Where's the boast? That's what Paul is speaking about here. Remember, this church, this Corinthian church that we're looking at in 2 Corinthians. Now, you, 1 Corinthians must be read and understood and studied before you get into 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a prerequisite to 2 Corinthians. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you might hear me say these things and you're like, whoa, this guy is crazy. This guy has lost his mind. Praise be to the Lord. Still, read 1 Corinthians and you'll understand. You'll get it. This division that happens, it's painful. But yet, it's beautiful. And you'll understand it when you have this knowledge of 1 Corinthians, which is a prerequisite to 2 Corinthians. The boast was in those in Chloe's household. And now the makeup of this church in Corinth, it's the remnant plus those who were formerly leavened who are now brought back into the fellowship. Formerly leavened who have repented. No longer leaven. And just like the Old Testament, leprosy. The leper is outside the camp. No longer a leper. Okay, now brought back into the camp. It's an Old Testament example of leaven. Leaven and leprosy are 
likened to each other. The carnal nature, sin, uncleanness. That's the boast. That's what Paul is speaking about. It gives you opportunity to boast or rejoice. Remember, like a, like a proud parent. It's not like to, be, to boast like that, like, oh, look, my kid's awesome. It's the boast that's more internal. Like, I'm so proud of baby girl. I'm so proud of my son. You, you rejoice, and yes, you're proud, but it's not like a boasting type. Well, that's how the word translates from the Greek. To boast on our behalf. That you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. And what's the boast? It's like to be proud of Paul. And this entourage, the holy yo-yos, these people who are in the conscience. That's the boast. Like, wow, I'm so proud of Paul. Like, you know, like a parent is proud of baby girl. A parent who's proud of his, his or her son or daughter. It's for the field to be proud of the workers. It's for the Corinthian church to be proud of Paul. Because, wow, look. Wow, Lord, look at what you've done through Paul. And not to, not to have an elitist mentality of like, wow, look, I'm awesome and you're going to burn in hell. Look, these other Christians, they're going to burn in hell. No, it's not to have that mindset, but it's to understand, okay, there's a problem in this church. This church needs order. There needs to be order in this fellowship. There needs to be order in this home. There needs to be order in this heart. There needs to be order with this doctrine. It needs to be sound. And now that that's established here in 2 Corinthians, the remnant church, which is brought back into the people who were formerly identified as leaven, they can have this boast in Paul, this pride in Paul, like, wow, Lord, look at what you've done. Look at what you have done, Lord. Through Paul. And not just Paul, but Paul in this entourage, this holy entourage. You see, the boast is of the heart. It's not in appearance. Like that family, the model, the so-called, I'm doing my air quotes here. You can't see it, but I'm doing my air quotes. The model family. The perfect smiles, perfect attire, perfect hair, perfect everything. But meanwhile, what's going on in their heart? You see, it's much deeper. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Just like chapter 4 closes in verse 18. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are unseen. Or the things which are, the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen. Those are the things that are eternal. In verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. How that translates, if we are insane, it is for God. But if we are of sound mind, which is sane, it is for you. Now you hear me make mention of a time machine. We go back in time and, you know, we're there in the church in Corinth, all these different examples of us going back in time. But I'm going to give you another example. And the example is this. What if Paul has a time machine? And Paul has a time machine and he comes into the future. He comes into the future and we meet him in a special dwelling place. We meet him and he teaches us. 
He pours into us. And we have this little fellowship, this little home fellowship. And Paul teaches us, he pours into us, he loves us. He has a little entourage that came with him from the past. And he has his time machine, he comes into the future and he teaches us, he pours into us. And of everybody else outside of this little dwelling that we have, of everybody else, people say, that Paul, he's crazy. Be careful with that Paul. He is nuts. He teaches about division. He calls people leaven. He says he commits people to Satan for, you know, that's mean-spirited. He's so mean. Be careful. He says these other pastors, these other teachers that, you know, they shouldn't be teachers. He says their mouths must be stopped. He's so mean-spirited. That's not of God. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. He's insane. That's what they say. But to you and me, who are in this little dwelling, learning from Paul, who came from the past, he was at his time machine, he came from the past with several people in his entourage, and he pours into us, he teaches us. We see his tears as he teaches us truth, pouring into us. We say he is of sound mind. That's how verse 13 is. If we are insane, it is for God. People say, oh, be careful with Paul. Be careful with him. He's insane. Don't see him anymore. Don't, don't learn from him anymore. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. Everybody says he's crazy. He's crazy. He's crazy. But to you and me, in this little dwelling that we learn from, we see. He tells us to open up the Bible and follow along. It's like, wow, he's of sound mind. He's not crazy. He's sane. And Paul says, that's for you. You see, that's for you. It's the unlearned who says he's crazy. But the Bereans, because we open up the Bible, we follow along, we see uh, Paul aligns with the prophets Peter aligns with the prophets. You know, all these things. It's like, whoa, because of being a Berean. Lovers of truth. This is what Paul says in verse 14. Inspired of the Spirit. For the love of Christ compels us. It's not like anything. It's like Paul saying, oh, you know, I want to do good for my community. So I think I'm going to teach the Bible. No. The love of Christ compels us. It's compulsory. That's the closeness. Remember, the, the, the bondservant loves the master, but the master also loves the bondservants. You see? It's compulsory. I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends because a friend doesn't know what the master is doing. Or a friend knows already knows what the master is doing. The servant doesn't know. He's still a servant. She's still a servant. And in the course of time, that servant might become a deep, close, personal friend. Because oneness with the master. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Now we have to be careful with these passages because this is where the universalists get their 
doctrine from. You know that you know everybody's a Christian. Everybody's a Christian, even people who don't believe, even people who don't proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody's a Christian. That's where you get into universalism, which is dangerous. He says, because we judge thus that if one died for all or the whole, then all died. You see, what's the whole? Now, the whole here is dying. Dying. Emphasis on dying. Leaven? With leaven, there's no death. With leaven, there's no death. The old nature is still alive. Do you remember the division that happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? I'll read it. I mention it quite a bit. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 11, but now, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral. Sexually immoral, he says. Why hasn't the sexually immoral been reckoned dead? Why did that those guys and gals not reckoned that old nature dead? Why is it that that sexual immor- immoral sexual immorality among those? Why is it still alive? Why is it still festering? Now, this is three years in. The church is three years old here at this time. So for three years, like if you're 10 years old as a Christian, I don't don't speak 10 years old in in, in, like a 10-year-old boy or 10-year-old girl. I mean 10 years old as a a Christian. Say you were born again at age 30. Well, if you're 10 years a Christian, you're age 40 now. That's not a good sign if you still have these. I mean, you're always going to have a certain issue. But with maturity and learning how to fight, you're going to know how to, you're going to learn about taking the door. You're going to learn how to escape temptation. You're going to learn these things and you're going to apply them in your lives. You're going to do these things. You're a hearer of the word, not period, and a doer of the word, meaning you apply the word in your life. As you reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead, you're still going to have these issues, these battles. But if you're 10 years in, and you were a sex head at age 30, and you're 10 years in at age 40, you're still a sex head? That's not good. That's not good. Paul says here not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous. It's not just the sexually immoral or covetous. An idolater, reviler, drunkard, extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Paul starts identifying leaven. Three years in, the church, the church here is three years old. And Paul starts identifying 11 works of the flesh, which haven't been put in check. And when I say haven't been put in check, is it the responsibility of an elder or pastor to, to put this in check? Yes, it is. But you know what's better? When the head pastor does it, when Jesus Christ does it through his word. That's why there are certain passages which are very difficult to study and go through and read. But how important it is for us to have the full counsel of the word of God be taught. Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament, the new interpreting the old, the old interpreting the new. Because we get the full counsel of the word of God. We can learn, oh man, crack isn't good, so I'm not going to do crack. Wow, sex isn't good, so I'm not going to do it. And sex in marriage, sex in marriage, it's good. 
but sex with, you know, uh, 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 girlfriend number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, that's not good. That's not good. You see? These things, we learn, we grow, we mature. Now, if you're caught up in sexual sin, if you're caught up with the drugs, the alcohol, you're, you're a, an, a reviler, a drunkard, the extortioner, repent, 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 repent. You must repent. Commit your life to Jesus Christ. Or if you've been playing games with the Lord, you're lukewarm, you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. And go and sin no more. Yes, Jesus Christ hung out with all kinds of different people. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, he hung out with everybody. But to them, he says, go and sin no more. You see? Does that mean that, you know, are we saved by works? Are we saved by works? Faith without works is dead. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, we were saved by works. We're saved by grace. But we can't take advantage of God's grace. Does that mean that we should sin so that sin more so that grace can abound? No way. Certainly not. Exclamation point. Those are Paul's words. And we allow the word of God. We allow the spirit of God to have his will inside of us. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of believers today, a lot of believers today who have religion. They believe in Jesus Christ. They have the baptism of Jesus Christ, but they do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see? Why would they? When they say that the Holy Spirit was for 2,000 years ago, it's not for today. He's not for today. Oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. He, did, he only did that 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. How could such a soul have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You see? No, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is very wonderful, very beautiful, very real. He's a helper. Capital H, a helper. He will help you turn the other cheek. He will help you in your walk with Christ. He will help you with the sexual sin, covetous, idolatry, reviling, drunkenness, extortion. He will help you with these things so that you will not be leavened. He will help you so that you can be part of the whole. The whole. You see? Just like we see in uh, in verse, uh, still in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. A new lump. You see? Let us be a new lump. I don't mean to speak loosely about being a new lump, but it's actually quite beautiful. And this new lump in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this new lump in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is now this Whole in Second Corinthians chapter in Second Corinthians chapter five. <laughs> you see, let's look at in verse Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse fourteen. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all or the whole, then all died. 
all died. The question is, who has died? Or who is dying? Who is dying? That's you and me carrying our cross, reckoning the old nature dead, the old man, the old woman dead. You see? How does that happen? Well, it cannot happen without the Holy Spirit. It cannot happen without the helper because the helper will help you turn the other cheek. The helper will help you uh, with the sexual immorality, with the extortion, with the drunkenness. He will help you. He will convict you. And we will help you. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, but the Holy Spirit being built brick by brick by brick, a new temple inside of your heart. Not the old temple. The new temple, which is you. That's why we have to be very careful because the universalists get crazy with this. You see universalism, which has entered into the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Episcopal. But sound doctrine. Understand, understand that 1 Corinthians is a prerequisite to 2 Corinthians. The problem comes when, you know, you have 1 Corinthians chapter 3 believers, which are beautiful. Being a baby in Christ is beautiful. But if you're a baby in Christ and you're 10 years into Christ, okay, that's not a good thing. You need to grow. You need to mature. But if you're a baby in Christ because you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior last week, praise be to the Lord. Being a baby in Christ is beautiful. From that point, we grow, we move on to perfection. You see, we move on to perfection. And with the baptism, not just with the baptism of Jesus Christ, that's religion. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Paracletus, the helper. He will help you. He will help you. As surely as the Lord lives, he will help you. You see, as down payment, just like Paul says, God in verse five, God, uh, now he who has repaired us for this very thing is God who, who, has, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee, the down payment. A lot of people believe in Jesus Christ without the down payment of the Holy Spirit. There's no earnest of the Holy Spirit in their heart. That's religion. Such people say, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. That's very dangerous doctrine. It's false doctrine. But it's very dangerous doctrine to live by. And the fruit in their lives will be made evident. It's not good fruit. It's not good fruit at all. But what I love so much about the progression of these things, it's sad. But what I love so much is that as these things are revealed... It softens a heart by which a person could say, you know what? This was wrong. And what do they see in your life? Not that you're, you're boasting like in a, a pride before a fall, but just as Paul says, uh, you, you, you boast on our behalf. They're going to see the light dim in their home and they're going to look at Goshen and they're going to see the light they're going to see the light in your life. They're going to see the light in your marriage. They're going to see the light in your home. They're going to see the light with everything you do, the works of your hand, the steps of your seat, the feet. They're, they're going to see the light. 
and it's going to be salt. You see, the salt of the earth. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be tough to get to that. I mean, it's difficult. I'm not trying to say like it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's a piece of cake. It's, it's beautiful and it's perilous. Look what we see here in verse 15. And he died for all. He died for all. You see, this is the whole as whosoever. Because there's a very common doctrine today where, you know, God predestines people to hell and he predestines people to heaven. And when God died, he only died for the elect. He didn't die for anybody else. He died only for the elect. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's whosoever believes. Do you believe? I can't tell you how many atheists I've spoken to. A lot of atheists who know their Bibles. But they're atheists because they don't like God. But their concept of God is not even a biblical God. The majority of times, it's a God under the branding of Reformed theory or Calvinism. Why would If God is love, why would he allow me to be raped? Have you had these conversations before with females? If God is love, why would he? Allow, why did he allow my when I was gang raped as a teenager? Or you talk with adult males who are very stoic in having a conversation, very stoic. But when you get down to the nitty gritty, you say, "I want nothing to do with God because I was molested in youth group," and they know the Bible, and they want nothing to do with God. You see, of the Calvinistic God, I want nothing to do with that either. If you're Calvinist, come out of her, my people. Listen to our study through Romans 7 through 11. Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Listen, because you'll learn about predestination. You'll learn about the elect. Come out of her, my people. The largest concentration of atheists that I have spoken to and who know the Bible well, the largest concentration of their brand of so-called Christianity is of the Calvinistic type, of the Reformed theory type. Why would God allow me to be molested as a child by a youth pastor? Why would God allow me to be molested at church? Why would God allow me to be raped? Why would God allow me to be gang raped? Oh, God is sovereign. He wills it to pass. He willed these things to be. No, such a person is a victim of a fallen world. A victim. You see? So we have to have this understanding of whosoever. God so loved the world. God so loved the world. You read certain Calvinistic study Bibles. 
or Reformed Theory Study Bibles, the ones where the propagators are starting to say it's okay to take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Never take the mark of the beast. But you read these Calvinist study Bibles and they have these definitions of this is what the Lord means. When he says world, this is what God means. What? He means only the elect. Where do they get that from? The word is world and it translates as world. God so loved the world. The question is, who responds to his love? Who responds to his love? Now, if you've made it this far, you've been listening this much in, this, this, this much deep into our study, and you're not a believer, hit pause and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right here, right now. Because God loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much, and he wants me to tell you that. He loves you. You see, and he wants your sin to be placed on his son for the remission of your sin so that you can be right with him and you can have oneness with him. That's how much he loves you. And you hit pause right now and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you come back and you continue on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for all whosoever, that those who live should, know, should live no longer for themselves. You see, this is the beauty of carrying our crosses. Me carrying my cross and you carrying your cross. And don't forget, even the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, even he himself had help to carry his own cross. Which means what? I'll help you carry your cross. And you help me carry my cross. And we carry our crosses together. You see? We're just sojourners. We're just passing through. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. This is how we live no longer for ourselves. But for him, but for him, who died for them and rose again. You remember how we would look at, turn with me really quick to Galatians chapter two. And in Galatians chapter two, in Galatians two, verse 20, Paul says this, this is Paul. Emphasis on this is Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul's writing now. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I. This is Paul. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is Paul. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, this is Paul who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Paul. Emphasis on this is Paul. These are Paul's words of himself. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You see, that those are Paul's words. Now, I say this not to emphasize that this isn't for you. This isn't for you. No way. This is for you. But the question is, have you reckoned the old man dead? Have you reckoned the old woman dead? Because a lot of times you see a 1 Corinthians chapter 3 type of believer, which is beautiful. Babies are beautiful. 
Milk is beautiful, but understand that milk is for babies. You see a 1 Corinthians chapter 3 type of believer. And they have all kinds of works of the flesh. All kinds of works of the flesh like the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. But they believe in Jesus. Don't forget that even the demons believe except they tremble. And I say this because Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me now. If you're a worker of the flesh, and we're all a worker of a flesh of the flesh to a certain degree. The question is, is it to a lesser degree than yesterday? Understand that we don't count ourselves as having reached already, but we press forward, we move on to perfection. We are in these earth suits, but yet we move on to perfection. Is the work of the flesh to a lesser degree than it was yesterday? If the answer is yes, praise be to the Lord. If the answer is no, repent. You see? It's not to say that Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 is not for you. It is definitely for you, but you have to carry your cross. I have to carry my cross. We have to be crucified with Christ. In order for that to happen, I have to reckon the old man dead. You have to reckon the old man dead or the old woman dead. You have to do that and you have to carry your cross. If you need help, I'll help you. If I need help, you help me. Paul is saying of himself, I have been crucified with Christ. Now the question is, can you say this of yourself? Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, I say praise be to the Lord. But don't forget, we die with him. We die with him. We carry our cross, crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. What happened when Christ was crucified? He was dying. Ultimately, he died. What happens when you are crucified? What happens when I am crucified? We die. You say, I'm crucified with Christ. Why are you going to strip clubs? I am crucified with Christ. How come you're getting high all the time? I am crucified with Christ. Why are you having sex like crazy? I am crucified with Christ. Why are you doing the crack, the alcohol, the extortioner? Why are you doing these things? Oh, you're so mean-spirited. How is that mean-spirited? You see? I don't say these things to hurt you. I say these things to sharpen you, to correct you. Oh, don't judge lest you be judged. Listen, I've taken the plank out of my own eye. Oh, there you go. You're boasting again. I don't even know you. I desire to know you. I desire to give you a big fat hug and a big holy kiss on the cheek. Because I love you. But for the large majority of listeners, I have no idea who you are. And in that, I rejoice because I can say these things freely. You see? Crucified with Christ. Now let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So now that we have this understanding of death and carrying our cross. 
We look at verse 15, and he died for all or the whole as whosoever, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Do you see how easy this is? When you reckon the old man dead, when you reckon the old woman dead, when we are a people who carry our cross? Because how do the living live for themselves? They're dead. How can they? No, we're alive in Christ. Remember, the dunamis power of God our Father rose Christ from the dead. And when we die in Christ, we also are alive in Christ. And one day we'll be one with Christ in our glorified bodies. Not yet, but it will happen. How dead are you, my friend? Let us be a people that strives to die more daily. In verse 16, therefore, from now on. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. I love this so much. You know why? Because we can see people as souls. Remember what Paul said of Timothy, who deeply cares for your souls? Start doing that. See people as souls. Even, yes, when their sin is great, even when they have the egregious sin, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, see people as souls. You know why? Because some of those souls will burn in hell. Some of those souls will burn in hell. And you know what? God, our Father, is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to catch them? As through fire, like Brother Jude says, who's going to catch them? Who's going to tell them? When... If you don't reckon the old man dead, if you don't reckon the old woman dead, you're compromised. You are ill-equipped to rescue such a person, to rescue such a soul. But when you start seeing people as souls of whom God is long-suffering for, it, would, it will help you. Because as you grow, as you mature, you can go fishing for such people. Not to have an elitist mentality of, oh, yeah, we're of the elect. God died, you know, God so loved the world, but, you know, I read this Calvinist study Bible and it tells me that, you know, God so loved the world and I read the small print, I read this, you know, the, the, the translation of this man, the one who says it's okay to take the mark of the beast and I'll still be saved. And I read his interpretation of this and he says the world really means the elect. When you read the Bible, the Greek, Aramaic, world means world. You see? And you start seeing people as souls, it will help you have compassion for these people. The sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, even the atheists. I was talking to a Satanist once, not too long ago. I was talking to a Satanist and who was also also homosexual. And he hated God. He hated God with a passion. 
And we started having this deep conversation. And everything he was telling me about what he thought God, what God was, was according to Calvinism. And then we started talking about deeper things of which he could track. He was tracking. And then he started to say, I've never heard this before. And I said, okay, open up your Bible. Read. This is what is written. It's not that it's new. You've never heard it before because you were never taught this before. It's nothing new. But yet it is true. And it is for you. And we ended our conversation. It was actually quite, it started out like really like, he was really like going crazy on me. But praise be to the Lord, because when you start to see people as souls, like if I didn't see him as a soul, I would be like, I'm not easily offended. I've been called everything under the sun and I'm not easily offended. He started saying these things and it's just like, man, it's so sad. Like he can say like every, every arrow, every dart from his mouth was like pain in my heart, not pain to my body. Not pain to my mind, but like pain to my heart because it's like, wow, he's separated from the Lord. And if he dies in that, this soul, yes, he has his earth suit, which is under the command of his mind, which has been given over to Satan. But if he dies without Christ, he will burn in hell. A Satanist. Hopefully, I haven't been in touch with him for several months now. But I hope I can say different of him. I hope I can call him my brother. You see, when you see people as souls, it will help you have compassion on them. Oh, I'm not a compassionate person. Well, don't forget, the Bible says the Lord will give you a new heart. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, but my other pastor says that was for 2,000 years ago. This other teacher says that was for 2,000 years ago. He was wrong. There's no expiration date on the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. There's no expiration date. Oh, but this pastor says so. That's nice. That's not what the Bible says. Of what spirit does he teach? Oh, but this teacher's female. Okay, we got more problems there. Of what spirit does she teach? You see, some people teach the things which they ought not teach about. And so we continue on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone or whosoever is in Christ, operative word here, in Christ, in Christ. Remember, abide in me and I in you. Those are his words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Remember this 2 Corinthians, where 1 Corinthians is a prerequisite of? 
This is the remnant. The remnant where the leaven has already been dealt with. And there's former leaven which are now brought back into the bunch, into the hole. You see? You must have an understanding of 1 Corinthians before you get to 2 Corinthians. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to Christians of the 1 Corinthians chapter 3 brand, of the 1 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 3 type babies, babies with an abundance of the works of the flesh. And they say, oh, look, I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. And I'm, are you brother? Are you sister? How come you're getting drunk every weekend? How come you're getting drunk every night? Six pack every night. You see? A case of beer every night. Why is that? Why are you going to the strip clubs? Why are you doing your drugs? You do, you, oh, I got the, the finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. I don't see newness, brother. I don't see newness, sister. Can I even call you brother? Can I even call you sister? I pray I can. And if I can, hey, get rid of that. The things which so easily ensnare you. And let us move on to perfection. You see, therefore, any, if anyone whosoever is in Christ, inside of Christ, he's the one who says, abide in me and I in you. When that happens, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the problem with leaven. Because with leaven... With the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, the reviling, the things written about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the leaven. Old things have not passed away. The old man is still alive. The old woman is still alive. The old nature is still the old nature. The old remains. The old remains. How can verse 17, how can 2 Corinthians Chapter uh, 5, verse 17. How can this be when leaven is left undealt with? How can any of us say, I am a new creation in Christ when the leaven hasn't been dealt with? How can verse 17 come to pass knowing that every jot and every tittle will come to pass? How can it be? And this is how Satan gets Christians to fall. This is how he seduces Christians. Because if I'm leaven, I'm a baby Christian and I stay a baby Christian for 10 years. I'm a baby Christian. I have an abundance of the works of the flesh. And then I start reading verse 17 here in 2 Corinthians chapter 17. It says, therefore, anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm like, wow, praise be to the Lord. I'm a new creation. My friend calls me, hey, let's go to the strip club. Okay, let's go. Other friend called, hey, I got the finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. Okay, let's have it. You see, 
And then my friends start to say, oh, how, how come you're a Christian? I don't even believe in God. I'm an atheist. I'm a Satanist. And I, I do this. We do the same things. How, how come you're an atheist? You, you call yourself a Christian, but how can this be? You see? Shame to the name of Christ. It's a satanic seduction. It's the deceitfulness of sin. And with the deceitfulness of sin, you know, Hebrews chapter 3 comes the hardness of heart. A heart can become harder and harder and harder and harder. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Remember, what is mortal, choke out and kill. Verse 4, that, mor- that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And that's a nice translation because it, it has that juxtaposition of uh, the mortal and life. But I like the more accurate translation. Which is, that which is mortal may be drowned of life. Which means what? Kill it. Kill the Amalekite inside of you. The friend calls, hey, let's go to the strip club. Nope, not happening. Hang up. Boom. It's not a good friend. He knows you're a Christian and he wants to do that with you. You see? The phone rings. Hey, I got the finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. Nope. Not happening. Hang up. Not a good friend. Bad company corrupts good character. You have a choice to make when that happens. Oh, but God is love. God is love. God is love. Yes, God is love. We're called to be loving. What we're not called to be, we're not called to be stupid. You see? Therefore, in verse 17, so you hear us say that 1 Corinthians is prerequisite to 2 Corinthians. I don't say that like, you know, like an academics teacher to say, okay, you got to do this, you got to do that, and bada bing, bada boom. I don't say it like that in that regard. I say it in the regard to help you so that you'll understand to make this differentiation between leaven and non-leaven. Fruit of the flesh and fruit of the spirits to make that differentiation, to help you make these choices that honor the Lord in in order to honor the Lord. And to be clean vessels. And if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things, they're gone. They've been choked out. They've been choked out. The old things have passed away. How did that happen? They've been choked out. Not that we should desire to be unclothed, but further clothed. You see? Renouncing the hidden things of shame. That all happens in carrying our cross. That all happens with reckoning the old man dead, the old woman dead. And when that happens, you are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, you see. So if Paul was in his time machine, he comes in time. People say, oh, be careful with Paul. He's crazy. He says these things. He's crazy. He says we're not a new creation. He says that we're leaven. He says take this guy and commit him to Satan. He's crazy. He's so mean-spirited. But to us in our little home fellowship, in our little dwelling, Paul's of sound mind. You see? 
and we commit him to our conscience. You see? Because he's an overseer who looks out for our souls. Who sees us as souls. Male, female, young, old. For the name of Christ, he's a bondservant of Christ. You see how beautiful these passages are? I mean, if we were topical, if we were a topical church and I do topical studies and we were to look at these verses, you know, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You might say, wow, that's so awesome. That's a beautiful verse. I love it. I love this verse. But do you remember the pain of studying 1 Corinthians chapter 5? That was a painful chapter. Do you remember the pain of studying 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and then the subsequent chapters in 6 and 7 about marriage? Those were difficult, difficult passages. Difficult, difficult examples. But in that difficulty, look how beautiful 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 is. A new creation. That's us, a people of the way. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. As the, in the Old Testament, reconciliation happened through the law. And what does the law? Remember, the law was given three times. I'm not trying to say reconciliation happened through the Ten Commandments, per se. Reconciliation in the law. Reconciliation happened with the law, the Ten Commandments, with sacrifice. Don't forget the law was given three times. The first time orally, which was rejected. The second time, two tablets, also rejected with the golden calf. The third time, received but with blood. Life is in the blood. You see? And the wages of sin is death. That's the law. And the law is still holy. But it's a tutor to bring us to Christ, to bring people to Christ. The law is still holy. But it's the low beams. It's not the high beams. It's the low beams. Greater. The the law is still holy. Yes, the law has glory. But there's a greater glory in grace abiding in Christ, the fulfillment of the law. In verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. Old Testament was the law with blood. The Ten Commandments with blood. As new covenant believers, it's in the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You know how this translates? Has given us the ministry of atonement. You see, just like the law, just just like the Old Testament. Our study through Exodus, uh, Leviticus, and Numbers. You see, atonement for people to be right with God. Old Testament, New Testament, people right with God. Repent, 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 repent. That is, in verse 19, that God was in Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ said, I and my Father are one. 
That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world. The world. You read the Calvinistic study Bibles? Oh, the world really means the elect. No, let me tell you something. I'm doing my air quotes here. Oh, learned one. The world is the world. Reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. You see? Not imputing their trespasses to them. Remember our study on Wednesday? The, in Numbers 30, the overruling authority of the father, the overruling authority of the husband. You see? The old interpreting new, the new interpreting old. And God is the same. Thus saith the Lord, I never change. Read Malachi. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us or purposed us for the word of reconciliation or atonement or restoration or divine favor is how that translates. Just like the Old Testament. God's favor on Israel. And don't forget, the law had stipulations in the law for Gentiles to be brought into the camp of Israel to partake of the feasts and the festivals. Gentiles grafted in. Just like Jethro, Gentile, who believed in, in God. But then you look at uh, um, Balaam, also Gentile, who believed in God for a little while. Short-term believer. And look what happened to him. Didn't turn out so well for Balaam. An Old Testament example of Luke chapter 8, verse 13, a short-term believer, Balaam. Who didn't, you know, he had hardness of heart, which grew harder and harder and harder. He believed, but just for a little while. The deceitfulness of sin. You see? In verse 20, in closing, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, these are the work. Paul is speaking of himself and his entourage, the workers. Now, if you're in the field, if you're a pew Christian, it's not to be down on yourself. It's to say, wow, you know, the Lord might call you into ministry in whatever capacity. He might call you from field to worker. Praise be to the Lord. Because it's dangerous to be a novice. It's dangerous to be a novice. The same way it's dangerous for a five-year-old. Take a five-year-old and put him or her in the theater of combat. It's dangerous for that five-year-old. But when that five-year-old is 20, has gone through boot camp, has gone through uh, infantry school, has gone through training, that former five-year-old is deadly, ready for the theater of combat. You see, in this dangerous environment, you have to be a Berean and you have to be dangerous. Scripturally, metaphysically speaking, but spiritually speaking, in this dangerous environment, you have to be dangerous. Remember the sons of Siva? When the demon says, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who in the world are you guys? And they were overtaken. You see? The demon knew Jesus. The demon knew Paul. 
dangerous. Paul was dangerous. But sons of Siva, seven guys, who are you guys? And they were all overtaken. Compared to seven guys couldn't do what Paul's handkerchief could. You see? The Lord did miracles. The, the Bible even says the, the Lord did, you know, unusual miracles through Paul's handkerchief. Paul's hanky. More power in Paul's, not just Paul, more power in Paul's handkerchief than seven sons of Siva. You see? That's what I'm talking about. In a dangerous world, in a dangerous environment, you have to be dangerous as a Berean, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith and wisdom. And this happens in this training ground we call Bible study. So you can grow, so you can mature. Just like that five-year-old, not ready for the theater of combat, but in the course of time, that former five-year-old is now 20 and is now dangerous and ready for combat, has been trained up in like manner. You be trained up. Don't, don't feel down. If you're, if you're a pew Christian, if you're in the field, don't feel down like, man, I, I want to be a worker. That's a good desire. That's a beautiful desire. But let the Lord grow you and mature you. You see? And so we see this in verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Whoa, you see? As though God were pleading through us. Now you see Paul as a conduit. You see his entourage as a conduit of the Lord himself. That's how close these bondservants are with the master. And that's not, it's not, it doesn't end there. That's how close the master is with his bondservants. Love. The servant falls in love with the master. The servant denies his freedom and becomes a bondservant because he loves the master. The same can be said of the exact same with females. The servant falls in love, becomes a servant, and falls in love with her master. The servant denies her freedom and becomes a bondservant because she loves her master. And her master falls in love with her. She loves her master and her master loves her. He loves his master and his master loves him. You see? Closeness, intimacy. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Remember, this is to the remnant, to the remnant, to the remnant. And also to the field. Be right with God. Not be right with God, period. Be right with God, comma, and stay right with God. Let us carry our crosses. Let us move on to perfection. Let us reckon the old man dead. Let us reckon the old woman dead. You see? Let us not desire to be unclothed, but to be further clothed. Let us choke out. Let us choke out the, mort the mortal man. Let us choke out the mortal woman and not just choke out so they can live again. Choke out and kill the Amalekite, the mortal man, the mortal woman. And I'm speaking about 
the internal man, the internal woman. Let us be a people that renounces the hidden things of shame as we studied last week in chapter 4, verse 2. And in so doing, just like verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Have you ever spoken with somebody, a brother or sister? And they tell you, you, you ask them, what's your testimony? And then they start to speak. And through the whole thing, your mouth is just wide open. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. That was you? You did that? You were a crackhead? You were a sexhead? You did the drugs? You did the alcohol? You did this? You did all that? You were in prison? You were in jail? You did this? You did that? I love moments like that because that person has reckoned the old man dead, reckoned the old woman dead. Have you ever done just the opposite where you say, oh, tell me your testimony. And, you know, somebody says, oh, yeah, you know, I used to be a crackhead and I became a believer. And you're like, well, why are you still a crackhead? Oh, I I used to go to strip clubs and then I became a believer. Why are you still going to strip clubs? I used to be alcoholic and then I became a believer. Why are you still alcoholic? You see, I, I used to do the occult, then I became a believer. Why are, you, why are you still doing the occult? Verse 17 can't be said of such people. Verse 17 can't be said of such souls. Because when you say it can't be said of such people, you know what happens? A little bit of pride starts to set in. A little bit of elitism. Or it can, if you let it. But when you see people as souls, you can have compassion on such a person and say, hey, Who's your pastor? Who's your pastor? Oh, I go to this church over here and the pastor, her name is uh, uh, Jennifer. Okay, there's a problem there, brother. Look, the Bible says females don't be pastors. So, hey, get a new pastor. You see? What? what, You were a crackhead? You became a believer and you're still a crackhead? What's up? Who's your pastor? Is he of the defunct kind? I don't know. I just read the study Bible. You read it. Whose name is on it? Oh, interesting. This is the guy who said, is it's okay to take the mark of the beast? This is also the guy who says the gifting of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit was for another dispensation. Get a new pastor. You see? This is what he says here in verse 21. In closing, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin. That's Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. Jesus on the cross became sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, for you, and for me. For all who believe. Oh, the Bible says the world, but... That just means of the elect. That only means the elect. No, it doesn't. The world means world. Whosoever believes. Whosoever believes. You see? Non-believer? Sin. Sin will send you to hell. Non-believers. If you're listening, you're a non-believer. Sin will send you to hell. You believe in Jesus Christ? God, your Father in heaven 
will take your sin and place it on his son. And he died for your sin because the wages of sin is death. He dies. You live. You see, it's a transfer of penalty. He dies. You live. And God the Father in the dunamis power of his spirit raised his son. The resurrection of his son. The first fruits of the resurrection in accordance to our study in 1 Corinthians 15. And he will also, oh, he will also cause you to rise again. You see? Always hope. Always hope. Always joy. Behold. That's the handiwork of our Lord. The beautiful, beautiful handiwork of our Lord. He says in verse 21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God in Christ, you see, might become. To be regenerated, how it translates to be regenerated, to be fulfilled, to grow, to be kept. It also translates as to be married. You see? That's why, you know, the question, do you believe? Do you believe? I like to see it as a question spoken of by the Lord. Will you marry me? You see? Because the bridegroom will return. He's coming again to receive his bride. Beautiful people of the way. God bless you. I love you.